This is Lee Habib, and this is Our American Stories, and we like to talk about just about everything. And one of them is food. And before we get to our, well, our food guy's rap piece for the day, Sean, who's a part of our team, we were just goofing off talking about our favorite scenes about food and movies and TV. And, well, one of them, well, was Pulp Fiction. Sam Jackson and John Travolta talking about, of all things, important Hamburgers. You know what they call a, a, a quarter pounder with cheese uh, in Paris? They don't call it a quarter pounder with cheese? What do they call it? They call it a Royale with cheese. Royale with cheese. That's right. What do they call a Big Mac? Big Mac's a Big Mac, but they call it Le Big Mac. Le Big Mac. <laughs> Le Big Mac. Classic. That's right, Jesse. Seinfeld, our favorite scene there was the, uh, well, the infamous... Double dip scene with George at a party, and let's take a listen. What are you doing? What? Did did you just double dip that chip? Excuse me? You double dipped the chip. Double dipped? What, what, what are you talking about? You dipped the chip, you took a bite, and you dipped again. <laughs> So that's like putting your whole mouth right in the dip. <laughs> From now on, when you take a chip, just take one dip and end it. <laughs> well, I'm sorry, Timmy. <laughs> but I don't dip that way. Oh, you don't, huh? No. You dip the way you want to dip. I'll dip the way I want to dip. Give me the chip. Hey, hey, hey. I agree with the dip Nazi, though. I mean, come on, really. <laughs> he's right. I love the way that guy sold it, too. Yeah. He was so serious. His fingers when he's like, we need to pounce. <laughs> oh, and of course, our favorite, it was just not even a consideration. It's, of course, from Goodfellas, and it's the prison eating scene. Goodfellas. Yeah, fellows? Sorry, Goodfellas. <laughs> I'm from Jersey. It's okay off the air, but on the air, you got to say it correctly. <laughs> Goodfellas. And Ray Liotta doing the voiceover work. Here we go. In prison, dinner was always a big thing. We had a pasta course, and then we had... Paulie did the prep work. He was doing a year for contempt, and he had this wonderful system for doing the garlic. He used a razor, and he used to slice it so thin that it used to liquefy in the pan with just a little oil. It's a very good system. Vinny was in charge of the tomato sauce. Ah, got the smoke. But treat the kinds of meat and meatballs. You've got the veal, beef, and pork. Ah, good, but you got to have the pork. Pork, that's that's the flavor. I felt he used too many onions, but it was still a very good sauce. Vinny, don't put too many onions in the sauce. I didn't put too much onions in Oh? Three small onions, that's all I did. Three onions? How many cans of tomatoes you put in there? I put two cans, two, two big cans. You don't need three onions. Johnny Deal did the meat. We didn't have a broiler, so Johnny did everything in pans. I used to smell up the joint something awful, and the hacks used to die, but he still cooked a great steak. Hey, how do you like yours? Red. Medium red. Medium red. Hmm, an aristocrat. Yeah, it doesn't get better. You have than to that. watch that again. I know. Yeah, it's on like every week with yeah. Godfather. I think it's like eight hours a week on AMC. I'll tell you, I bumped into the guy who said not 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 so much onions. Paul Paul Sorvino. Yep. 
I was at a, a high school volleyball game in Malibu. His granddaughter was playing, and I barely recognized him. Because there's a story. He says, when I was preparing for this role, I had to get in a state of mind. He says, one day I was walking by a mirror, and I looked at myself in the mirror, and I flinched because it was some other guy. It was some dark, evil guy. Right. And so when I saw him at the game, it was true. It was that softness on his face. There was not that edge that yeah, was, was in the done. movie. It was yeah. crazy. That's great acting. Yeah. And now it's time for our food critic, food resident foodie. Sean with his report. Hello, I am A.A.R. Santo with Our American Stories Foodie News. Today we bring you James Wright. And let's just say James Wright has two things in common, Patty LaBelle and sweet potato pie. Greetings! So, I went to the store after I seen somebody post that Patty LaBelle pie. I love Patty LaBelle. I lo- Shout out to Patty LaBelle, honey. I went and bought the Patty LaBelle pie. Sweet potato patty LaBelle. This is the patty edition, honey. This is the on my own. Why did it end this way? Now, as you can see, James really, really likes patty LaBelle. And, well, it gets interesting from here. As we partake on James's pie review, you'll see <laughs> he takes it to a different level. So, Katrina, I bought you a pie. You get this video. See this video? You said buy you a pie. I bought you a pie. I bought five pies. I'm going to do a raffle. Anybody want to win a pie? So I'm about to slice this pie. It, I think that this pie, because Patty LaBelle could cook. Now, the first obstacle of James's review is he had a bit of a problem trying to open the pie box. Buying this pie, it's hard to get in this. Patty, what you sell this with? Gorilla glue? Oh, there we go. Come on, Patty. You better come out. Come on, Patty. Hmm, on my own. Why did it end this way? As you can see, not only does James love Patty LaBelle, he actually seems pretty good. Now we move on to the tasting part of his review. You turn into Patty after eating this. Mmm, Patty, how is it that two people who laugh together and love together? James Wright loves the pie so much, he actually turns into Patti LaBelle and starts to sing some of her songs. Sometimes, ooh, ha Patty, when you've been blessed, feels like heaven. Here's what makes this whole story come together. James Wright YouTube video has become so popular that it has over 3 million viewers. And not only that, Patty LaBelle's sweet potato pie has been sold out all over the country due to this video. Go to Walmart and buy the Patty LaBelle pie. I never knew until then, but I know now. Mm. Always remember, a viral video can make an impact on how a product is sold. And from what I understand, even Walmart can't keep up with the demand for Patty LaBelle Sweet Potato Pie. I'm A.A.R. Shanto with our American Stories Foodie News. Ah, that was good fun. <laughs> good fun. And again, right now I'm sitting with one of Greg Hengler's apples. He's actually, he picks these great apples and I go into the... The the, uh, the group refrigerator. I'm one of those guys who actually steals the other guy's foods. One of the most hated guys in any organization. That's me. I'm the swiper. This is Lee Habib. This is Our American Stories. We'll be back with more after this.
This is Lee Habib, and this is Our American Stories. And now it's time for our weekly series, Random Acts of Kindness. And if you have a great story of someone doing a random act of kindness for you, visit randomactsofkindness.org and post it there. And make sure to check out some of the terrific stories there. You'll be inspired, and it's a great character-building resource for families. And this week, we bring you a story of a seven-year-old in Toledo, Ohio, named Audriana Reynolds, that we read about at LifeZet.com. Audriana was bullied at school for being somewhat of a tomboy, which is just like my little girl, Reagan, 11 years old, and the things she loves to do are what only boys are supposed to love to do. And I love this country now because girls do whatever they want, and that's that, and they're going to have their way. Well, you won't believe this story, and we're lucky to have Audriana and her mother, Alexandria, on with us now. Audriana, uh, before we start and before we tell your story, you're seven years old. What's your idea of fun? You have a day off. It's the summer. How do you kill some time? Talk to us about what's fun in your life. Uh, riding my dirt bike and uh, holding my turtle. <laughs> that sounds like a day. My little girl loves riding her ATV and catching frogs. So you two have a lot in common. Tell us, Adriana, what was going on at school? Tell us what, what was happening at school to you with the, with the bullying. Uh, they were touching me, hitting me, and calling names. And what were they calling you names about, Adriana? What, were, what, were what, what kind of names were they calling you, and why do you think they were doing that? And was this mostly boys? Do, was this mostly boys, uh, Adriana? Was this girls, or was this just everybody? Yeah, really, really. And you know, just so the audience knows, Adriana's hair is short because in April she had donated the bulk of it to Wigs for Kids, an organization that provides wigs for children who need them, and most ordinarily that's for young kids who suffered from cancer and have lost their hair. It's a beautiful thing to do and a, and a courageous thing to do. Alexandria, how did this affect your daughter and you too? And uh, talk about what happened next. Um, well, she would come home from school crying and just very upset. And, um, you know, she didn't really understand why kids were doing what they were doing and saying what they were saying about her. And it was just really hard to watch your child be you know, so upset over just mean stuff that kids say and putting their hands on her and stuff to that effect. Um, so I, it all originally started as I was trying to get people to send Adriana birthday cards in the mail for her birthday to show her that there was plenty of nice people in the world and not everybody was mean. Um, and one of the ladies in one of my coloring groups online um, she actually knows the Punisher's Motorcycle Club, and she actually hooked us up with um, Bush. And um, a pretty cool relationship just kind of started from there. Um, they made her a vest and um, accepted her in as part of the club. And um, they took her for a ride on the back of the motorcycle to school and all kinds of cool stuff. And the Punishers is it's it's a, sort of like a law enforcement motorcycle club in Toledo. 
Is, is that what, that's what I thought. And 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 we have uh, Daniel on with us too, Daniel Bushy, and and we're fortunate, Daniel, to have you here too. Tell us about that motorcycle club of yours and what you did for this family and this young lady. And I'm going to call her a young lady because that's what she is and why you did it. We uh, we basically we we help anybody we can um, anytime our resources allow. Um, we're very family oriented. Uh, we do special events. We just got done with a uh, cancer run where we raise money for the Nightingale Harvest Ministries. Um, so stuff like that. And all of our chapters do that. You know, we focus on our communities uh, the best we can. And, you know, there's there's always people that need help. You know, it's just, you know, getting to the ones we can. And so... focused on uh, friendship and family. That's great. And and, and, and this is a... What, what are the age groups of the folks in this motorcycle club? And what walks of life do they come from, Daniel? Um, every walk. My charter has uh, active police, uh, active and retired military... Um, I've got EMTs, firefighters, uh, just anything you can think of. You know, it's we bring people in and they have to hang out with us for a while. You know, to make sure they're going to be a good fit, and make sure we're all on the same page. That's great. That's great. And so, what did you do uh, for this young lady in particular? What did you do for Audriana to help her with his bullying, help her with her self-esteem, her confidence, all of it? When, uh, just like she said. They, Angie reached out to us and said, I know somebody in my coloring group that her daughter's being picked on, and they want to know if you guys would send her a birthday card. And uh, I got a hold of her mom, and I said, uh, you know, what's going on? And she told us. She said, if you guys send a birthday card, it would be great. I just wanted to know there's still nice people out there. And I, I said, we can, we can do better than a birthday card. So uh, about eight or ten of us got together, rode out to Peanut's grandma's house, and uh, we hung out with her for about 45 minutes or an hour. And, you know, I talked to her. I had been bullied when I was, when I was younger. I used to be really small. And, uh, you know, I got bullied a lot when I was a kid, too. Um, somebody set my hair on fire. Um, I had a blade pulled on me, put to my neck. Um, you know, I was just off the top of my head. So I understood, and I understand what she was going through at the time. Um, and I told her, you know, it's, it's not her fault. It's. You know, when people do that, it's usually because they have self-esteem issues. They feel bad about themselves or they're having an issue at home. And it's not to be mean against anybody. It's just the way it is. You know, and I told her this, them picking on her has nothing to do with her, that she's a good person. And that's beautiful. And so you took her on a, you took her on a ride to school is what you did. Yeah, we, uh, we came out to her house, picked her up. Uh, me and my VP blocked some traffic on the way over to make sure we could get there in one piece. And, uh brought her out to the school she's seen the kids as they were showing up to school they're all wide-eyed and looking over at us and it's like eight bikers standing outside of the school it was fun though she had a blast well and you were helping out a young lady with a common love for bikes uh, audriana can you tell us about your first real ride on a real motorcycle and what it meant to you Well, hopefully you'll. A lot. That's great, and hopefully you have a lot. Have a lot more. It sounds like you have some new friends, Alexandra. After you guys have exp- after you guys have expanded your family to include the Punishers, have you noticed any changes in your little girl? Oh, definitely. She has a smile on her face all the time. Whenever she talks about them, she just lights up. 
and she loves telling everybody that she's part of the Punisher's Motorcycle Club and that she has a whole new family of uncles and it just brought her a lot more confidence and happiness back into her and it's so wonderful to see. That's beautiful. And Daniel, you got about 30 seconds. A final thought from you before we close. Um, just anybody that's listening, you know, bowling is not okay. It affects kids badly. You know, it, it brings them down inside and it's a lifetime effect. There's no reason for it. Um, you know, just accept each other how you are. You know, everybody's different. And that's what makes the world great. Well, Daniel, Adriana, Alexandria, thank you, all three of you, but particularly you, Daniel. Uh, thank you for reaching out. These random acts of kindness, these things we do for one another, and I call them little acts of love because that's what they are, and we all need them. And just thanks for what you did. And, Adriana, you keep riding, okay, sweetheart? You keep riding. This is Lee Habib. Thank you all for joining us. And this is Our American Stories, Our Random Acts of Kindness. What a great story. What a great country. And it's so true. Bullying, it's it's a part of life, but it can be fought back. And this is the best way to fight back with really, really random and radical acts of kindness. More after these messages with Our American Stories. Look across the smiling lips that warm my heart and see my morning sun. And if that's not loving me, then all I gotta say. God didn't make little green apples It don't rain in Indianapolis in the summertime This is Lee Habib and this is Our American Stories And that was such a huge hit for O.C. Smith The whole country listened to this song Old, young, and what a voice And what a song And we're talking about O.C. Smith Because, well, every day 
when we're doing our show pitches and we're gathering around to talk about what we're going to talk about and what segments we're going to do, well, it always goes to food at some point or another. And Hengler's our resident foodie, and he's just, well, he's hung up about so many things, but apples in particular. So this is our off mic segment of the day. Casey uh, talks to no, me about ratios are everything. It is. She yeah. talks to everything. me about the ratios of burgers because we just moved here from Southern California yeah. and all she did in Southern California was eat In-N-Out Burger. Nothing else. It's a nice skinny burger. nothing else to eat. That's nice the best burger. burger. Right. And so she came here and everybody's like, oh, steak and shake. It's just like In-N-Out. No. And she says <laughs> there is nothing because their ratios, the bun to the burger and everything is Perfect. It is perfect. And she, and she said the steak and shake doesn't come even close. No, it's too thin. It's too thin. But by the way, Crystal's really perfect too. It has really thin mm. buns and really mm. thin beef. And then it has just the right amount of pickle to burger ratio. And then just the right amount of onion. It, it, it's really, wow. it's really you're gonna good have ratios. A thick it's burger. why it's good. Except you, you they ha- copied it. It's yeah. not even their ratio. Okay. You can I'll have a thick burger, but it's got to be properly seasoned like a meatloaf almost. Well, that's true too. Otherwise, you're going to have like that fleshy tone in your mouth. It just kind of... Covering up all the rest of the burger, mm. but the ratios. I'm telling you, for peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, you can. This is why you cannot have someone else make a peanut That's butter true. and jelly sandwich yeah. for you because mm. they'll get the ratio wrong. It's true, and well, it's not just the peanut butter to jelly ratio; it's the bread to the peanut butter and jelly <laughs> ratio itself. You can't have too much peanut butter and too much jelly as long as there's the exact amount of peanut butter and jelly. Yeah, but what if the, what if you have a so lot much of peanut butter and jelly, and jelly that it overwhelms the bread? Oh, there's nothing wrong with that. I like. Oh, no, so you don't matter. You you just cr- stack that up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's also the matter of crunchy or soft peanut butter. I mean, See, crunchy is. Well, let me, I want to understand something. So let's take the burger ratio. Right. So you wouldn't mind having like one of those burgers with like a pound of beef. No, that's just disgusting. Little, I like that's a too thin much burger, burger just, for bread, right? Yeah, we're talking about maybe like a quarter inch, maybe a half inch of a thick of so a. So what's burger. the maximum amount of like meat you'll take on a burger? No, I, I can't stand it when people have like more than one patty of meat. That's right. disgusting. Unless it's a Big Mac. Big Mac is a different story because it's so thin, and they sneak it in there with that special sauce. You can't really tell that there's two patties. That's true. <laughs> you can't really tell. Well, and also, don't they have that one sandwich where they put the bread in the middle, so there's actually three pieces of bread? Yeah, two yeah there's more yeah, bread. That's yeah. right. Yeah. But the Whopper, on the other hand, I mean, that's a pretty thick piece of meat, but it's still only about a quarter inch thick, and right. it's charboiled, which helps with the flavor. So you're not just eating this this fleshy kind of unseasoned meat. There's actually some flavor there. But you don't like those fancy restaurants that go, "Hey, we got like a half." Oh yeah, and it's like it's bun. as thick as yeah, my it's disgusting. cell phone with the burger case in half. Yeah, no, mm-hmm. that's disgusting. You want you want uh, you want thin. All right, we yeah. settled this. We settled this. Well, ratio, yeah, ratios are everything. I'm just talking to you about the peanut butter on my apples. Yeah, like even my kids, they're three, four, five years old, and I have to put the correct amount on there, and I understand. Yeah. Like if you have a big glob of peanut butter on your thinly sliced apple. It just overwhelms it, which goes back to what we were talking about yeah. with Chipotle's burritos. Those darn guacamole that they put on there. Back to Chipotle. Yeah. If they just put a decent <laughs> amount on and not charge you for it, we'd be in, in heaven. Yeah, yeah. The most important ratio, though, with peanut butter and jelly sandwiches is how much milk you have. No doubt. It's very You have important. to have a full glass of milk. And if there's milk left over, I mean, then your wife's going to yell at you because you put the glass of milk back in the fridge. There's like that much in there, but the kids will come through and drink it. Oh, yeah. yeah. And by the way, there's something <laughs> or evil. Or The people who leave right. this much of anything in anything oh, should yeah, be shot. Unacceptable. They should be shot. <laughs> yeah. And we know who they are in every household. Because yeah. that's me, by the way. My <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> no, and it goes that way with apples, too. Nobody knows how to properly eat an apple. They, <laughs> they, they, they eat it. And they leave so much on there, and I'm like, bah! You know, yeah. it's just like, it, it drives me crazy. I've gotten to the point now where I'm in my car, or, or like if I'm somewhere and I don't have anywhere to put the leftover piece, I eat the whole thing with a stem. I don't care. 
It's like I'm just going to eat it all. I don't care what kind of poison they say are in that in the seeds of the apple. I'm going to eat it all. Arsenic, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't care. I, I like <laughs> discarding my my, uh, my apple cores and my banana <laughs> peels because then I can like show my kids when it's okay to litter. Just throw that stuff anywhere you want to. It's okay. It's, oh, good. Yeah. it's biodegradable. Why is there an apple in front? There's of you? an apple in front of you because we're going to do the test. I talked to you guys about the, the test? best. This the is the test. This is a test. This is an apple. I'm not even test. sure you still did the dude wipes test, did you? No, I did. Well, I first, did. First, first of all, I don't know oh, if it's necessarily okay. a test because I've already, I've tried everything, and this is the best apple you've ever had. This, this apple? is called an envy apple. This is mm. actually better than that Brayburn I was telling you about. Oh, it smells good. Yeah, it's amazing. The it's envy got of the all perfect apples, huh? balance, everything in it. This apple will not be defeated by any other apple. Honestly, I can't tell much of a difference between this apple you just, and most Yeah, it, you, maybe you just haven't worked up a... It's a great a, apple. A refined palate for apples. It's a perfect apple. And that's a great apple, I gotta say. That's it's very sweet. Apple. It is. It's just got not a nice texture. too much of anything. Like the Granny Smith, it's just too sour. This has got a perfect balance of everything. Mm. Is there more money? It's well right now at the store it's two ninety nine a pound, but a couple of days ago it was a buck ninety nine. So you just got to stock up when it gets. So done. is this the food that you can just hmm. not stop eating? Is that your food? Because we all got yeah. food we can't stop eating. Oh yeah, yeah. This 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 one is is dangerous, especially because okay, I, I used to do almond butter, mm-hmm. but now I do sunflower seed butters because my daughter was allergic to peanuts for a while, so we just cut it out for a few years, and so we started to put in sunflower seed butter. And then so I started to eat it, and I'm like, wow, this is really good. And so now I've just completely switched over, and she's back to peanut butter. Can you eat so much that you get sick? Like when you eat that extra apple, when you go, <laughs> why did I do that to myself? You know what? I never, ever get sick um, just the way I eat. But I get to a point where I feel a little like a little brick in the stomach. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it always happens from having too much apples and sunflower seed butter. Oh. Like, so you can never have too much. So, I mean, as far as, like, weight-wise, I'm trying to shed some pounds oh, myself. Yeah. But you can eat apples all day long, and the sugars aren't going to add up well, like see, a, Yeah, exactly, because you, you guys had brought up the sugars in the apples. That right. Wow, that's a lot of sugar. Right. But the whole idea, and this is the whole reason why juicing is so ridiculous, is because that's going to make your insulin spike to heaven. Hmm. But if, as soon as you keep the fiber in your fruit and you don't extract it and make it juice, yeah, right. that fiber is going to help balance out and your insulin isn't going to go through the roof. And that's what makes you get overweight. That's what takes those carbs and throws them right into your stomach. Right. And so, especially too, because I'm putting the sunflower seed butter on it, that fiber is, is helping that, that, all that fat from the sunflower seed butter too. And so yeah. it's just a really good... Well, a good, and that's that's why I stay away from starches like yeah. pastas and potatoes because oh, that's yeah. going to shoot your insulin right through the <laughs> it's room. It's so hard it's to stay totally. away from pasta though. I mean, my wife makes this fettuccine that you could die for. I mean, it's what about rice though? Because I, I like jambalaya. Starch. Yeah, yeah, Is this that's bad. Just, that's pure. That's going to shoot. I, oh. I stay away from rice, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't discourage other people to stay away from it. I wouldn't discourage other people to. I would just. I would just try to lean them in the direction of like a sweet potato and even more. I would say if you could, if you can, yeah. completely switch over to butternut squash. Ugh, butternut squash disgusting. is amazing. Ugh. If you put a little brown sugar and stuff on there it. There was two foods I never had to eat as a child. One was peas and the other was squash. Oh, it's good. <laughs> Just, so I guess you have nothing to say about my, because you have the 12 apples. And when I'm sitting down yeah. with, a, with a really special assortment of crystal burgers, I, I like the first four or five. The first four or five I get through, I'm feeling fine. But it's that sixth and that seventh. Yep. But I have friends yeah. who can just plow through a dozen of those. A oh, dozen yeah. of those. I could do that. Oh, we Talk drove by Crystal the other day, and Casey even said to me, "What's Crystal?" I'm oh like, no, don't go in. It's a knockoff you company. Go in. 
I haven't been in, in one of those places in a while. Very good. Yeah. Not so as good as what's, so what do you guys think? I mean, it's a very good apple. That's a great apple. I mean, I'm not. I, I <laughs> right. can't go hysterical over the apple because so I'm excited. not an apple yeah. guy like Right, you. right, right. But it is. It's better than any other apple I've ever had. Yeah, it's incredible. No question. <laughs> one, one to ten. Probably a ten. We're accepting sponsors for Envy. <laughs> we'll do that. This yeah. is very good. <laughs> it is. Oh. Well, there you have it. Our off mic segment now you know what we're really obsessed about we could actually sometimes spend an hour talking about our last meal the meal we're about to have our favorite food and i know you love food too this is lee habib this is our american stories our off mic segment of the day and you can go to ouramericannetwork.org to hear all of this the silliness and the seriousness serious and the sublime more after this Now, Grover Cleveland, you know, Warren Harding, it's just ridiculous. I mean, no, it's absurd. No, I mean, you got guys like Chester Allen Arthur, and you have, uh, there's just certain guys that I'm not going to celebrate their birthday. I don't care if they're presidents, or I'm not going to celebrate the holiday. Taft. Taft, right, that's right. Throw in Taft. Taft is two men. Now, there's only two guys who should get it, and we got to be fair. Lincoln and Washington, and that's it. Yeah. Nobody, and they should have their own days. They should have their own days. Why do you have to lump those guys together and put a President's Day between their births, which is what happened with President's Day? They just wanted right. to cram two guys into one day wrong. And there's no reason the mail shouldn't come on President's Day either. None. Preposterous. The clothes. Come on. Give me a break. So we're, we're covered there. And, you know, that's just what happens here at Our American Story. Sometimes we go off on a tangent. Hangler takes us there. And then we've got another segment from the crew. And this is, well, it comes from... Stan, basically, because Stan is, well, he's always thinking about deep things and intricate things and really complicated things and things that are really beyond us. And a little while ago, our colleague Alex Cortez was picking up our, our new field correspondent, and that's Stan from the airport. And the guys got into talking about, of all things, child car seats, which, you know, you know whatever you want to talk about, I don't know how it got there and Things must have been a little slow in the car. <laughs> but, uh, and it's, I mean, this is pathetic. But Stan was wondering why Alex has child safety seats in his car, but doesn't take them with him when he flies with his two little girls. That's actually a pretty good question, because I never do either. I, but we, I was forced to have child care seats, basically, by the government. A question <laughs> and answer that will be a feature of Stan's first of what we hope will be a reoccurring series, depending on how we do tonight, called Ever Wonder Why? And so here we go. Let's take it away, Stan. Everywhere we look, there are stories about the importance of child car seats, especially for infants younger than two. How to choose them, how to install them, and here's a bit from the Today Show about how even the weather outside makes a difference. We're talking about putting your kids in car seats while wearing their winter jackets. You think you're strapping them in, keeping them safe, but you're really setting them up for possible danger. Okay. So if we give this much attention to child seats in cars and how to properly use them, then why not in airplanes? I don't know about you, but I've seen far more infants on planes held by their parents than strapped into seats. Is that okay? I mean, airplanes go way faster than cars, right? Well, 
we're certainly not the first to wonder. Come fly with me, let's fly, let's fly. The existing policy is that a child under two can travel domestically with a parent for free by sitting in the adult's lap. Now, once the kids are over two, parents are required to buy each child a seat of their own. Some disagree with this policy. The woman who used to lead the NTSB doesn't think that's safe. Deborah Hersman is now the president of and CEO of the National Safety Council, a nonprofit group. Deborah, um, I mean, it's uh, just the way families fly, you know, with a babe in arms in their arms. What's wrong with that? You know, I think it's something that a lot of people have grown accustomed to, but it's just simply not safe. We wouldn't think about holding our infants in our arms in a car at 50 miles an hour. Why would we want to do it at 250 miles an hour in an airplane? Oh, won't somebody please think of the children? In 2001, the American Academy of Pediatrics recommended a mandatory federal requirement for using child restraints on aircraft. In practical terms, they wanted the Federal Aviation Administration to make parents buy extra tickets so that each child can fly in a safety seat. Taken at face value, this seems to make perfectly good sense. If there is extreme turbulence, or God forbid a plane crash, an infant would be relatively safer strapped into a safety seat than held in their parents' arms. I believe I can fly. Simple. Case closed. Pushed a mandate through yesterday. Right? Well, as we've seen in all of our stories about risk, it's rarely ever that simple. One group of researchers estimated that mandating child seats in airplanes could prevent 0.4 child air crash deaths per year in the United States. Based on that, here's Dr. Aaron Carroll, a pediatrician, educator, and parent walking us through the map. Let's also stipulate that the average cost of the policy will be about $200 for a seat for each small child flying. Sound okay? Under these simple and reasonable assumptions, the cost per each child death prevented would be $1.3 billion. If you want to be precise, it was calculated to be $1,283,594,063. For comparison, that's about 33,000 times more per life you're saved than the policies that mandate restraints in cars. It's also pretty much the most expensive injury prevention policy imaginable. But that's just the beginning of the story. The Department of Transportation reports that for the average family traveling with infants, mandating safety seats would raise their flying cost by 45%, because mom and dad would have to buy the extra seats for one, two, three, or more kids. Especially for young families, that's an awful lot of money, and many won't be able to afford it. An obvious, if sad alternative, is just to miss out on vacations or family celebrations. But of course, there is another choice. Drive. Clearly, our roads are safe enough that just about all of us use them daily without thinking twice. But could forcing flyers to drive long distances end up being a very deadly proposition? According to the same group of researchers, if the mandate caused as few as 5% of families to drive instead of fly, the net result might no longer be saving four-tenths of a child per year, but actually increasing 
the number of children killed while traveling. And that's just the kids. You add in the adult drivers, the passengers, the other folks on the road, the occasional deer, and this trip takes a really tragic turn really quickly. The Federal Aviation Administration predicts that if child seats were mandated, the diversion of families onto the roads could result in 72 additional transportation fatalities over 10 years in the hope of achieving one saved life from airplane restraints. These are, of course, all estimates, and the danger increases along with average trip length, because the longer the trip, the more time families are spending driving on the roads instead of flying in the air. As an aside, researching and estimating the dangers of air travel runs into an interesting problem. Air travel is too safe to make strong predictions. You see, there are relatively so few air travel fatalities, and so few of those are infants, that we cannot draw very strong conclusions at all from such a tiny sample set. So, if we can't estimate that well, let's consider air travel's historical record. Between 1980 and 2011, there were three air carrier accidents in which child seats could have prevented infant fatalities. One in 1987, one in 1989, one in 1994. Those are tragedies, no doubt, but it's still three over 30 years. This may be another example of us paying more attention to what is the most dramatic instead of what is the most dangerous. You know, when we hear about a plane crash, oh gosh, we're just imagining shooting sparks, fireballs, hundreds of casualties. How can we not be scared of something like that? Especially if it's looping over and over and over on every TV channel. Okay, folks, show's over. Nothing to see here. Show's, oh my God, a horrible plane crash. Hey, everybody, get a load of this flaming wreckage. Come on, crowd around. But realistically, the leading causes of infant death in America mostly involve congenital abnormalities and complications from premature or otherwise risky births. We tragically lose about 23,000 infants a year from all causes. Even if we did mandate child seats on planes and we didn't bill the traveling families a single extra penny, the real cost of doing this will still be about $1.3 billion per potential life saved. Could we take that amount of resources and find ways to save more children in situations far more common and far more dangerous than taking a flight? As with all of our discussions of risk, the question here isn't if we want to protect people. Of course we do. But how can we do that if we're not fully exploring our choices? What are the costs we pay to get the benefits that we want? And what might be the unintended consequences? Reporting for Our American Stories, I'm Stan Dye. Hey, great job, Stan. That was, that was informative and smart, and I'm glad you're looking into it. <laughs> and... If you have a question that's gnawed at you, and I'm telling you, everybody's wondered why something crazy. Yeah, I got one. What? <laughs> why are motorcycle cops able to give people a ticket for not wearing their seatbelt? It makes no sense! It's not about safety, it's about <laughs> revenue. Yeah, but I mean, a motorcycle, just think about that. You know what's ridiculous is the child, child car seats are getting bigger and bigger every year. So when it used to be a five-year-old needed a big car seat, now it's a six-year-old needing a big car seat. Next year, it's going to be a 12-year-old needing a big car seat. In about 10 years, we're all going to have to be wearing, sitting in car seats. <laughs> that could be. That could be, Jesse. <laughs> and that's what we get. We want you, if you have an ever-wonder-why question, 
that Stan will run down, and he will run it down. I mean, you just heard proof. He'll talk to whoever he needs to talk to, and he'll get the answers, but particularly the statistical answers as it relates to risk. Ever wonder why? Call 844-627-8255. Leave your question. It's up to Stan to find the answer, and if he doesn't, well, my goodness. If you can stump Stan, we got a prize for you of some kind. Because <laughs> hey, I, I still Stan, haven't yeah. stumped Stan. <laughs> This is Lee Habib. This is Our American Stories. Go to Our American Network and listen to all of the things our staff does here and our team does, particularly our This Days in History. The John D. Rockefeller is priceless. It's up on the site. Take a listen. You'll learn some things they just don't teach you in college. They just don't teach you anywhere. American Stories, where we regularly bring you stories from former prisoners, and we do so because they're powerful stories, and we do so because their rehabilitation, well, that rehabilitates our own communities, and in the end, our country. And today's story is with Cos Marte, whose story we bumped across in the New York Times. It was titled, Getting Fit Prison Style, and you're about to hear why. Koss served four years in prison for drug-related charges. We'll hear about his childhood, what landed him in prison, what it was like when he was there, how hard it was coming out, and how he literally stumbled on a business idea that has since become a successful business called Kanbad. Koss, we start every interview with the same question. Tell us about where you were born and about your childhood. I grew up in, uh, in the Lower East Side of Manhattan, New York City, in the 80s and 90s. Um, my mom immigrated from the Dominican Republic when she was uh, six months pregnant with me, and uh, I was the first American-born uh, child in my family. Um, I mean, it was it was a hard time because it was uh, the neighborhood that I grew up in was just so drug-infested and and burnt down. It was just a war zone out here. So your your parents, uh, talk about, you know, what they faced. Because uh, it's not only you living in this tough neighborhood, it's them. Yeah. So my my parents were hard hardworking parents. Um, my mom emigrated here. She was working in a factory uh, making a couple dollars an hour. Uh, my dad uh, came later. Um, they both immigrated at different times, uh, uh, just like immigration issues. I don't know what it was um, exactly, but they didn't come until a couple years after. Um, and then, uh, I mean, my dad worked at, at bodegas, and I mean, they were both hardworking um I mean, there was uh, a few things that, you know, went down that I don't really like talking about. But, um, um, yeah, I mean, 
they they've been they had a they had a live through in a hard neighborhood. I like remember my mom being robbed for her her jacket while she's like walking with me down the street. You know. Yeah. So they had it. They, they had a hard life. You had a hard life, and drugs were everywhere. I mean, in 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 the column, you indicated that there were you you had to clear off needles from the stoop in your house, and and I don't think any yeah, you know like coming coming down my stairs, I, I I would see people like shooting up heroin. Yeah. Yeah, not something any kid should see. And and so and in the end the street life well, it just pulls you in as it as it does so many young boys and, and now increasingly young women. Talk about that. Yes, I, I mean I, I got involved early. I uh I basically was um followed my, my cousin's footsteps. Uh, I had a few family members that lived in the building and, and some of them, you know, was already hanging out in the corner while, when, and, and those are the people that I looked up to and, uh, and I would go to school and, and, uh, they would try to educate us to go to college and, and, you know, you see a brighter future. All I seen, you know, were the people that were standing on the corner and my family members, um, and I felt like that that was a limelight. That's how I could make it. And I and I was always money hungry to, you know, get any type of dollar in my pocket. Um I mean my, my parents didn't have a lot to I mean, they provided me with food and shelter, but uh, as for like clothing I had to I had to go and get it, you know. Yeah. And and by the way, as I you know, just recently saw the Bronx a Bronx tale, Chaz Parmentary and Robert De Niro and yeah. the same thing was at work in that movie. It was a white Italian neighborhood, working class. And yeah. the dad was trying to lead that straight, narrow life, working hard, driving a bus. The kid kept seeing yeah. the allure of the street, the Cadillac, the fine clothes. And, well, there it was. And it's, it's there everywhere. It cuts across class, race. Uh, and just in some neighborhoods, it's just tougher because it's everywhere. And what, what yeah. was the neighborhood uh, in particular? What was the, the, the street corner, the neighborhood? It was the Lower East Side, but where, where specifically yeah. in the Lower East Side? Uh, I mean, I, I, I grew up on Rivington Street, and I was all, all over, like, Eldridge, Broome Street, um, around the Delancey area. Uh, you know, that, that's where I hung out, Stanton Street, Foreside, um, yep. hanging out in the park. And for, we, we used to call it Foreside Park now, they call it. Street Park, but yeah. a lot of a lot of things change. A lot of things change. Even you know, um, even putting a, when you see you come down this neighborhood now, you see a soccer field. You know, and there was no soccer field here. It was like it was like a really burnt down building area. Uh, nobody really wanted to live here. Nobody really wanted to live there, and it's true. I grew up around the area, and I knew that part of the city. It's very different now, but at the time. Well, it's like the South Bronx. If you ever watched the Paul Newman movie, Fort Apache, the Bronx, it's it's unimaginable that that part of the Bronx used to look like that. Well, there are parts of this country that still look like that, and the people growing up and living there were interested in their lives, were interested in their stories. Casa's story, just one of many. Go to OurAmericanNetwork.org, and we've done a bunch of these with guys who've ended up in prison for all kinds of good and bad reasons some just ridiculous reasons and some the guys just did some really really bad things others they stumbled into bad ways of life Uh, some were violent crimes some were drug related crimes some were just a series of knucklehead crimes 
that under any other circumstance, uh, if the person had had a, a middle class means, would not be in jail, but because there was no way to actually get proper representation, uh, ended up in jail for much longer time than they should otherwise have been. This is Lee Habib, and this is Our American Stories. And again, we tell stories about everything here on this show, and we like to tell stories when we can about the remarkable things people are doing who've come out of prison and changed their life for the better. And we'll also periodically tell the stories of those people behind the prison reform movement. More on the Cas Marte story after these messages. This is Lee Habib, and this is Our American Stories. And now we return to the story of Cas Marte and his rise out of prison and to running a business and an article in the New York Times. A lot of money passed through your hands at a very young age. What would a what what did that look like in a year? Uh, so I was revenue probably around four to five million dollars. Um, it was it was pretty crazy. It was just like I, I didn't even have time to count it. Uh, after a while, I had to like hire people to count money and and bag up drugs. And it was just uh, it was coming in so fast, and I couldn't handle the demand. And that, that's when I started getting like more people involved. Um, and we we grew a team. Um, my boy uh, Joey and I we grew a team of over twenty people with like we organized like schedule time on delivery time and um how we're going to get this out of there and it's just been yeah you were running a small you were running a small american business it just happened to be a really illegal and and a dangerous one because you had a paying taxes and not paying taxes and keeping it all (laughs) by the way there was you know what people will always tell you about this life too and i saw it as a young kid because i had so many friends in brooklyn and there were wise guys on the corner and they led these lives and you went wow they get to do what they want they get to say what they want. They have the money. Yeah. And it, it, you can understand the attraction. And let's face it, in American life, the gangster film, you know, Scarface, that's watched by white, black, Hispanic. It doesn't matter what race you are. There's an appeal yeah. to it and always has been. Talk about that allure for you and then what it was like having to deal with the arrests and the downside of this life, as we see in something like Goodfellas. Yeah, there's an allure. Yeah. But, oh, my goodness, the constant prison stints and never knowing whether you're going to live another day. Um, that's yeah. got to take its toll, Gus. Yeah, I mean, like uh, going inside and out, out of prison was, uh, I mean, it, it felt normal. It felt like this is my, what I was destined for, you know. Uh, growing up, it was, uh, and, and automatically as you get involved, you you already, you, you hope not to get caught, but you expect to get caught. And it's like, all right, this is just part of the uh, day-to-day operations, you know. Yep. Um and seeing the guys on the corner and just 
even seeing the films and videos and you start like seeing guys with the big chains and girls, you know, that, 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 that's what you feel like America, you know, brings to the table, the American dream that everybody wants, you know, and, and you see it in your face and you're like, Oh, this is all I have to do. Um, I mean, it's not, it's not an easy job either. You know, um, it was pretty uh, nerve wracking at some points where I had a, you know, when you when you're driving around and you have something and you don't want to get pulled over and you get pulled over and, and just it gets crazy. Well, and cause I always think about and in my life, I always wonder about this is, you know, when you're going to buy and sell these drugs at the key exchange, you know, you're going to buy from some wholesaler or middleman. You know, it could be that day you've got a pile of cash. They got a pile of drugs. What happens if they decide to shoot you? What happens if there's another gang waiting to take your money just after the deal or before yeah. the deal? You can't call the cops. I can't imagine no. the level of anxiety with, with something like this because you have no protection, really. I mean, you have your own protection costs, but yeah. in the end, there are no rules. Yeah. And I, I mean, I've, already, I've been robbed. I, I had my, like, a couple team members back in the day, they tied us up and, you know, just, I've been through all that, you yeah. know, and that's uh, uh, there. You, there is no going to the cops, you know. Um, yeah, you just got to abide to the street rules. There's some guys that go to the cops, but I, mean, I yeah. just didn't respect the cops when I was on the street. Yeah. So what what happens? What's the moment uh, that a change occurs? Costs you've been doing this for years, and suddenly yeah. something something happens to you. What what is it? And talk about that. So, I mean, uh, what really changed me was while I was locked up. Um, and I've been in and out about 10 times, so it was just not uh, really affected. It didn't affect me of, like, going back in. It was the scary part. Um, I had a I had a problem with an officer towards the end of my incarceration. I was sentenced to seven years. And because of this early release program, I was about to be released in about three years. I uh, had two months left. And this officer basically placed his hands on me, and I turned around on him. Uh, he pulled a pin, and, and the pin is uh, like an alarm that they have in their walkie-talkie. And once they press that button, it's it's basically over, like um, just embrace for impact. So they, they throw me in this 9 by 6 cell, 24-hour lockdown um, for 30 days. And I was devastated because of this situation i was supposed to do three more years in prison and uh, i was just like scratching my head and i'm like uh, how, how the hell are you gonna tell my family about this i was about to... um and I, I i basically had a spiritual awakening while i was there i, I wrote out a 10-page letter out to my family i enclosed it in this envelope and i, I addressed it to you know, my family, and, and I didn't have a stamp to send out to better with. So I was I felt even more frustrated, devastated, and I didn't know what the hell to do. I started cursing out God. And um, and a week later, my sister finds out that I was in solitary, and she writes me and says, you know, we, we found out that you're in solitary confinement. Don't worry about it. Everything's going to be okay. Uh, and she tells me to read Psalm 91 from the Bible. Um, and I took that letter and basically threw it in the corner of my cell, like, this is all bullshit, like, I don't care, I don't believe in God, whatever. Um, but all I had in my cell was my Bible, and that was the only property that they can give you. So 
couple days later, I, I decided to do something while I was in SL because I was basically not moving. And I, I opened up the Bible and laid back my bed. And as soon as I started reading Psalm 91, a stamp fell out of my Bible. And it was a stamp that I needed to send out this letter to my family to tell them the whole story about the whole situation. Um, and and as soon as that stamp fell out, I felt like a chills run through my body. And and I felt like there was something bigger than myself. You know, There's, I felt... Regretted, regretful in a way too. Like I, I felt that I, that I damaged so many people's lives. Um, not only like my son, my family, and and friends, but the thousands of people that I sold drugs to. And then I started realizing that I'm creating a web of destructions because these people have families too. And I was, uh, I began asking God and praying and saying, how could I get back to society? Um, and I came up with this idea of this, you know, prison style boot camp because I helped before going into that cell. I helped over 20 inmates who was over a thousand pounds combined. Um, and I started the workout program because the doctor said my cholesterol levels were so high that I could have died of a heart attack within prison. So I, I started working out and lost 70 pounds in six months. And then I, I helped all these guys and I felt like this is this was the way I was going to come home and, and give back by, you know, starting this program and, and helping people get healthy. And, and then I began coming up with the idea of hiring formerly incarcerated people to teach these fitness classes. So I could give these guys a second opportunity to readapt back to society, you know? And so you, you come out of prison costs and you're a changed yeah. man, but the world doesn't know you're a changed man. And doesn't treat yeah. you like you've changed. And this is a recurrent theme that we really drill down on. And tell us your your take on this after prison. What's this like? Yeah, so I, um, I came home and I was determined not to go back. Um, my family took me in but didn't really believe me. Um, and I started doing the workouts outside, going up to people, in the street and trying to get them involved. And then eventually I gained a little small group. And then I, I started renting out fitness studios, like just to work out in. Um, and from there, um, I started gaining my family's trust back as they seen like the transition and, and that I was not going directly back to the world of drugs. Like I once did before. Um, and that I was like really determined to build this company. And uh, they started. They started believing me, and, and I started gaining belief off the people in the neighborhood. Uh, you know, they looked at me like crazy because I went from like making millions of dollars starting the workout program in the park, and they're like, well, "What are you doing?" You know, and I'm like, "Trust me, this is gonna work." And they're like, "Okay, whatever, whatever." They're like, you know, they they thought I was nuts, um, but. I, I made it happen, and I came home, and and just continue the path. And when we come back, we're going to hear the final part of Casa's remarkable story, a rehabilitation story that should warm anyone's heart, no matter where you fall on the political spectrum, or no matter what you think about defendants, victims, and the rights of both groups. Uh, this area of rehabilitation is a crucial one in our society. This is Lee Habib. And this is Our American Stories. 
This is Lee Habib, and this is Our American Stories. And for the past two segments, we've been following the life of Kos Marte in prison, before prison, and now after. And now let's take a listen to the last part of our three-part interview. There's an interesting piece of the story in the New York Times where you were doing some calisthenics and a yeah. passerby came by and asked to join the workout session. You were just, they, they just wanted some help. And you thought, hey, I uh, wonder what I could charge for that. And, and so sometimes uh, life has some serendipity to it, doesn't it, Cus? Yeah, yeah, very, very much. Um, and I feel like this, because I've been following the right path and I've been like, you know, doing the right thing, um, I've been hit with obstacles, but uh, I've been also hit with blessings uh, to keep growing this. Um, and it's just, I've been really fortunate to, to continue and, and and build this, this company. And now we have over 7,000 clients, um, you know, 10 employees. And, and this is just the beginning. I feel like I could really take this nationally and, and help tons of people, you know, uh, to readapt back to society and, and in addition, help them with their health problems. And your Con Body Gym, by the way, is it has a unique workout, Cos. And by the way, I think when I'm in New York next, I'm going to yeah. look you up and I'm going to join yeah. the, my wife and my little girl keep digging me to do this. And we, <laughs> we as men sometimes don't take care of business and maybe I'll inspire a few others in our, in our workplace yeah. to do the same but what what's what's unique about that workout of yours, uh, Kos? So it's it's all body weight workouts. Um, one thing I had was my my body and and just basically my mind. And I put we push you to the next level to reach your your goals. Uh, we have pull up bars, dip bars, and we actually build the whole facility to look like a prison um, in some sorts to just keep the branding right and to own it. You know, a lot of, uh, uh, I remember hiring my first trainer and, and he came out of jail and he's like, I don't know. And I wrote his bio, his bio said like doing seven years in Attica in a box. And he's like, I don't want to put that information out there. And I'm like, trust me, you know, we got to own it. And I like hide from it. I felt like every time I was applying to a job, like I was ashamed of what I did, which I was, but I, I shouldn't hide my mistakes if I did something wrong own up to it and move forward um and I don't want to feel like I'm hiding anything from anybody so I uh I felt like we we just need to be open with it and and own it you know so uh, that's why I just continue like branding it as you know a prison style boot camp and a convict body you know yeah, you know, and, and, and let's face it, when, when you when you share with people your, your your painful experiences and your lapses in life, you bring yourself closer to people. No one no one's led a life without major mistakes. Some just got you know, there were more consequences for their their bad behavior. And uh being honest and open, well, you know, it it doesn't help in an employment application as you were describing. You know, employers saw these the, the felony records and they yeah. said, no, thank you. You're doing something unique. In addition to growing your business, and we're going to talk about that in a second, um, you're, you're looking and reaching out to folks like yourself, ex-cons and ex-prisoners, uh-huh. uh, to, to give them a chance. Talk about that. And why did you focus on that? Uh, I mean, I, I felt the pain. It struck, it struck me when I came home, and I, 
I was I was smacked with so many things, um, like a touchscreen phone and and social media and all this new stuff that came out. And then especially when I I I went to like file like fill out applications at like different you know retail stores or whatever, uh, they were like you know fill out an application online and i'm like well i don't even know how to turn on a computer um and like search google and all this other stuff and i i basically self-taught myself started watching like youtube tutorials and it just seen i mean it was just it was hard being turned down and i eventually found a job making you know eight thousand hour scrubbing toilets at a hotel and and that's what i did and i couldn't i couldn't afford to provide for my my son um you know I was living in my mom's couch and it was just frustrating and I felt like I was worth more than that. You know, I, just because of the mistakes I've done, I feel like I, I had a talent uh, to give back to society and I was worth more than just 8,000 hour. Well, uh, and you and, proved and that I, you proved that yeah. cost. And you also, you know, let's face it. A lot of the skills and the skill sets you had running your drug yeah. dealing operation. I mean, you were a hustler. You were just hustling yeah. and breaking laws. And now you're hustling yeah. and taking chances and taking risk, um, but you're doing it uh, on the legal side of things. And my goodness, it had to just kill you to see in this New York Times article, and I mean in a good way, uh, you, had, yeah. you, had, you had interviewed, a, you had given a job to Shane Enover, uh, who had come out of Green Correctional Facility in New York. And the quote mm-hmm. from Mr. Enover was, I don't know where I'd be right now without this job. No one else... Yeah was giving me an opportunity. So you're not just providing hope for these guys. But, you know, hope without belief, someone's got to believe in you. And I, I can't tell you how many young men I've met. The second you get next to them, saddle up next to them and just believe in them, how, how much their lives change overnight. Talk yeah. about that. I mean, I was shame. I met what he, he was like two cells away from me when I was locked up. Um and I, I already, I already, I knew he was, uh, he had talent while, I was in, while we were in there. We both went to the college program. We took advantage of like reading books and like self-taught, teaching ourselves. And, and we, and we worked out together a lot in the yard. So uh, when I heard he came out and he reached out to me uh, through Facebook and he started seeing like, what we were doing with Combody, he was like, I want to get involved. And I told him, come through and, um, I was like, I want you involved with this. So, uh, yeah, it's been it's been amazing, like giving these guys, um, you know, and how appreciative they they are of this opportunity. Um, a lot of people are like, how do you trust these people? Are these people loyal? What happened to this and that? And I'm like, they, these guys are just so humble that they receiving a second chance, you know. And I feel like if if you give them a chance, they'll they'll go out their way to prove themselves. Uh, that they could fulfill this job. Yep, there's, there's no doubt. And, and you're also running a business now, and you're, you're living the American dream in a way that you couldn't have even imagined earlier. And, you know, what, what's, what, what does the future look like? You, you intimated it, you know, growing this into a national brand. You said you have 7,000 customers. Uh, yeah. what, what's, it, what's in the future, Cuss? I mean, my, I really want to open up a few more locations and then uh, look into um, pre- uh, talking about prison reform more. Uh, I'm actually going to Rikers Island and training these guys in prison now, um, in jail, and we actually 
creating a, a trying to create a pipeline so we could train them inside and they could have a direct employment as soon as they come out and skill sets. So you can do an internship for a couple months with us and and hopefully be hired full time. Well, I, I appreciate you joining us, Carson, and thanks for the story and all the work you're doing. And when I'm up in New York, I want you to put my body through the mix, and then I want to figure out how to get myself in shape. And uh, again, thanks for doing all you do. No, thank you, man. And this is Our American Stories, and we love telling stories like this. And I'm not kidding. I'm going to get my butt up there in the next 30 days, and I'm going to have Koss put me through his routine and it's just such a joy to be able to see him on the other side of that, of, that, of that prison cell and leading a productive life and doing good for all kinds of people. And my goodness, getting other people healthy. What an irony. What an irony. And how many more stories are, this, are there like this in prison cells across this great country? And when we can, we'd love to take stories like this to you. If you know a story like this, you have a friend, a family member in prison, And look, they're just knuckleheads or they've just done some really dumb things, but they have a they have a story to tell and they've changed or they're out of prison and they've reformed their life or rehabilitated. Uh, Call us at 844-627-8255 and leave your story. We'll follow up. We'll catch you and we'll get it on the air again. That's 844-627-8255. This is Our American Stories, and so much of that has to do with your stories. And you can catch all of what we do at OurAmericanNetwork.org. How much is that dog in the window? The one with the waggly tail. This is Lee Habib, and this is Our American Stories, and we cover every topic you can imagine. Love, death, sports, art. I just listened to the Andy Grove piece we'd done. What a life this man led, leading Intel, leading the microprocessor and microchip revolution, and lowering the cost of everything and making it faster and better and ushering in well, everything we use, practically, that we love in terms of technology, Andy Grove views, go to OurAmericanNetwork.org. Read that. Watch it. Listen to it. It's terrific. And we're playing this music because it's time for our The Burning Question segment, which we do each week with the Wall Street Journal's Heidi Mitchell. And The Burning Question at the Journal, with those great journalists and those deep thinkers and those incredible writers and these well-trained seasoned veteran journalist is can kissing your dog make you sick and i gotta tell you i can't wait to hear the answer to this one heidi thanks for joining us important journalism being done on it, kissing your dog let me it, tell you why it's important, important heidi stuff. i'll tell you a story i'm away at my family farm we go we do this every few weeks and we get together with cousins and relatives and we just do nothing there's not even cell coverage at this farm in the middle of mississippi and i'm watching my little pug go out into where the, into the stable where the horses are and he sleeps with us every night, and he started to eat the horse poop. You smell what I'm cooking, Heidi? So let, let's talk about this, because this is an important question. <laughs> How did you get to this, by the way? How did you get to this question this week? Why this question? Well, this was one of those questions that 
someone in the office asked because she loved her dog and she lets the dog kiss her all over the place. But, you know, we live in the city, most of us. And so there's a lot of icky stuff that the the dogs are picking up. Um, but I have to say, it's only like 6% of dogs eat bears or other animal species. So it's not so <laughs> rare what your dog's doing oh, in the barn there. That's good to know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't feel so yeah. alone. Uh, so tell me, what what's going on inside that dog's mouth? I mean, I've always heard the dog's mouth is the cleanest place in the world. They have special bacteria, and no matter what they eat, all's just dandy. Talk about that. Well, the thing is, is that their mouths are special. You know, they've evolved with all this yucky stuff in there, and it doesn't make them sick for the most part, right? I mean... Your, most dogs are pretty healthy, happy, yep. loving animals and part of the family. And what they carry in their saliva is a lot of bugs. They carry a lot of stuff in there. Um, there's some stuff that that isn't going to be harmful to humans. There's some stuff that isn't going to be harmful to them. And then there's the stuff that ain't so great. And those are the things that doctors worry about. Yeah, I can imagine. So you, you talk to someone named Dr. Sykes the interim director of the mm-hmm. Veterinary Medical Teaching Hospital at UC Davis. And this is where the journalism comes in, because you've got this burning question that may seem silly, but it leads you down some pretty interesting paths. So what do you learn about... Oh, it's amazing, because there's experts in everything, That's right. right? That's right. That's right. <laughs> they devote their whole lives to studying these things. Well, it's good to know that this doesn't make our dogs sick, but the question becomes, does it make us sick? So what does he have to tell us, Dr. Sykes, about your burning question? So it's a she, but she has lots to say about it. So the most crucial things you need to think about are Campylobacter, which is a food poisoning agent, um, Giardia, which can cause diarrhea, you probably heard of Giardia, mm-hmm. and Salmonella, which is, you know, an yep. organism that affects the gut and makes you have to take a couple of days off work or at least not be in public for very long. Um, and all those are just stomach ailments. They're really not, probably not going to kill you. They might cause dehydration and lots of diarrhea and, and pain in the gut. But if your dog is licking you all over your face and getting that saliva in your mouth, you know, you can catch that stuff. But it can get worse than that, which is, uh, I can't even pronounce these words, but Captocytophagia canimorsis and Pastorella multisoda. And those are, um, they can get into your bloodstream and they can even cause occasionally meningitis, ah, which can kill you. Yeah, that's not good. And so basically he's right. saying if you're going to kiss the dog or let the dog kiss you, not on the mouth and leave open wounds alone and don't let the hound hound your wound, basically. So this is something totally disgusting to me because she spent a lot of time speaking to me about not letting your dog lick your open wounds. And I was shocked that people would even do that. I mean, I guess if it's a little scratch, maybe you're like, oh, that kind of feels good. But an open gaping wound just sounds totally disgusting. And <laughs> if you look on the comments on the, on the page that we posted it on, on the journal, a lot of people talk about their dogs licking their open wounds that, you know, it'll cure it and help it heal faster. I mean, it's not going to help. It's still, it's an open wound. And then you're filling it with all these bacteria that you're already trying to fight an infection. And then there's all the stuff that's coming in, bacteria and little organisms. Not such a smart idea to have you lick no. your open no, wound. No, no. That's super yuck. Let me ask you about this because there are other ways for this saliva to get to us. And I did not think about this. But it's not just kissing okay, the so wound or kissing the mouth. It's, exactly. It's that catch ball so that we really play where with. It gets worse, right? Because 
what do most people do? They play catch with their dogs. So they pick up that juicy tennis ball covered in slobber, oh. and they throw it. The dog catches it, picks it up with its slobbery mouth, brings it back, fetch again. And then, you know, your hands are covered in slobber, and then, you know, you wipe your people wipe their face something like 60 times an hour, you know, so you're getting it in your eyes and your nose and your ears and your mouth. It's all that slobber is going somewhere into your body so you know you should maybe carry some purell or wash your hands after or just try to be cautious of wiping your face when you're playing with your dog yep yep. and and, you know one one thing i wanted to ask you is you write in your piece uh about well getting infected by your canine i mean ultimately this can happen as you were just describing um in, in the piece what do you do if if you are infected by your canine so it's funny because most people would think, um, well, you call your vet because your dog got you sick, so your dog must be sick, but your vet really can't treat a human. Right. And she said that there's a lot of, it's like 50-50 people think I call the, my doctor, I call my dog's doctor, but you really need to call your doctor. So your doctor's the only one that can prescribe antibiotics or whatever needs to be done to get rid of these bugs in your body that you got from your dog. <laughs> you know, you have a couple of, uh, there's some comments, obviously, and the joys of modern journalism doing anything in public is that you're going to hear from folks and one one person george ann mark miller wrote canine blaming is bigotry the authors are people privileged don't need no vet splaining <laughs> ouch so so for the people who think you're hating on the pups what do you got to say for yourself? Um, you got some explaining to well, do. Well, first of all, <clears throat> you got to never read those comments if you write these columns because they're all filled with, I don't know, these people a lot of time on their hands. I know. Um, and they always say mean things. But there are people who are, I'm sure, loving up their dogs and sleeping with their dogs. And, you know, they are part of their family. And I get that. I'm not a dog owner myself, but I get they love their dogs, and nobody likes to hear that your dog's carrying germs. But look, my kids are carrying germs, too, so i got to wash my hands when they come home, too. So exactly, <laughs> it's exactly. Everywhere. It's everywhere, right? Yeah. It's what's, what is really strange, though, Heidi, is, you know, my wife watched the dog eat the poop and has watched this before and allows this dog to sleep with us and kiss him. If I went out and ate poop, my wife would not let me kiss her. Why, why the discrimination against the human? This human hating. That's what I want to know, Heidi. Not you know, there is, a, there is the flip side of the coin. Some people do believe, it's called the hygiene hypothesis, that the more exposure you have to yucky, dirty germs, the more your immune, immune system is going to build up That's and right. then not react when it comes in contact with other foreign objects. So, you know, there's, there's research being done on that right now, but it's not conclusive yet. <clears throat> but she, you know, she might have something there. She might have if you're something. Otherwise there. healthy. I mean, pretty much what Dr. Sykes worries about is children under five and people over sixty-five, right? And also people who are already immunocompromised, like a pregnant woman or um, you know a drug user or someone who has cancer. So if you're healthy, you know you're occasionally getting licked by your dog. Even your dog that's eating the poop in the barn. That's, Maybe you're going to be okay. That's right. Hey, let me read you another Maybe don't one. Maybe kiss your wife. That's right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> let me read one from Ian Andrews for you. Five dogs occupy my bed. Five dogs kiss me throughout every day, every week of the year. So far, so good. Also, this is my fourth generation of pups. I treat them all the same. They get to kiss me and sleep next to me in bed. They're better than girlfriends or wives as they don't complain about us and any BS. <laughs> So there you go. You really tapped a nerve with this one, didn't you, Heidi? Oh, 
They hate me. They all hate me. <laughs> they hate you. Hey, Heidi, when you guys are sitting around, do you, it, it, how does this happen? Do you have a consensus? Do you have a group meeting and, and say that's the one? How does, how does the, how does the uh, subject get picked each week? Sometimes it's just like we're sitting around. Sometimes my husband will email me something from work and be like, oh, I need to know is a stand-up desk better? Right, or, right. Um, you know, or I'm driving in the car for six hours and I'm like, my back really hurts. Is there a better way to stretch my back? And they're like, that's a great burning question. Right. Sometimes they're like, you know, it's getting hot. It's getting cold. Should I worry about my wet hair? You know, so it varies. Sometimes we get emails. Anybody can email in burning at WSJ.com. They can well, mail in their questions and we can have that random question you never thought to ask answered by an expert well heidi i appreciate what you're doing it's just fun to do with this and i think next week we were we were discussing this and we're building a pool at our house and if you remember there was always that wives tale you eat a tuna fish sandwich you got to wait a half hour you eat a roast beef sandwich you got to wait 45 minutes before you can swim and there was always this one person at the pool who knew exactly how long you had to wait before you could actually go in the pool i think that may be one of our burning questions i'm um, not that i want to impose on you but you know every once in a while we think the, we think these thoughts too now you got us thinking about these things when it gets a little bit warmer, we'll, we will circle back on that one. Awesome. Well, Heidi, thanks so much for joining us. We appreciate it. And uh, come back more. Thanks. Come back each week, please. Thanks, Lee. Take care. You, you bet. Enjoy. This is Lee Habib, and this is Our American Stories. The burning question, can kissing your dog make you sick? And uh, I just keep thinking about my dog in that barn, and that makes me sick just thinking about it. This is Lee Habib. This is Our American Stories. More after this.